The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for questioning. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime! Welcome one and all to Night Freight. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. And we got a great show for you tonight. Don't go anywhere. It's freezing outside. It's a great night to settle in, get the coffee up, get the tea up, get your feet up, even more important. Tonight, folks, we're speaking with Erin. Erin is a transitional coach and intuitive consultant. She is also a medium. She communicates with animals and she's an energy worker. And don't worry folks, we're gonna take our time tonight and Erin will explain all these things to you that she does. She resides right here in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, where the natural beauty of the area teaches and inspires her. Along with the Starbucks coffee, by the way, I might add, Erin offers intuitive readings and coaching sessions as a tra transitional coach and intuitive, she helps others to learn these gifts and to help them realize their potential. Erin offers intuitive readings and coaching sessions. Clients have called her readings deep, insightful, and uplifting. It is my pleasure to welcome Erin to Night Fright for the very first time. Hi Erin, how are you? I'm great. Hi Brent, and thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Um, I'm glad you, uh, you're you on the show tonight. This is a perfect night for what you have to offer and to, to talk to people about. Now, you know, I've always been curious whenever I, I have uh, somebody of your talents on the show, how exactly, at what point in your life did you become aware of these gifts that you have, that is of a medium and a clairvoyant? Hmm. I knew all along that I was intuitive. I knew things that my family did not know. When I was a child, I remember sitting in the living room mm. when my parents went up to bed, and I would look at the chairs, and I would say, hi, how are you? I couldn't see, but I knew somebody was sitting in these chairs. Really? But I couldn't see them, yeah. But I had no idea what I was doing. So. Somebody sitting in the chair, so obviously you're talking about an apparition or some kind of energy field? A, a person is, uh, is all I knew, that there was a person sitting in the chair. Were you able to see them clothed, or how did they present themselves to you? Or was it just more of a, a it feeling? Was, 
Yeah, it was just a knowing that somebody was sitting there. Yeah. I didn't get to see spirit until I was into my 20s. That's when I could actually see an apparition, like in a, in a you know, what they would say, a ghost-looking white apparition. And Why do then, you think that is? Because most people I talk to with your gifts always tell me that children seem to have lower inhibitions and therefore they can see things that adults don't, but it seems to have worked in reverse in your case. For I don't know why it worked in reverse, um, but it did. I, I have no idea why. I can't answer that for you. I just know that children are very intuitive. And so if children are playing with imaginary friend, parents ask them questions, because chances are they may be talking to a loved one Really? Did mm -hmm. this happen to you when you were young? Did you have a, an imaginary friend or friends? I had an imaginary friend, um, but I didn't really know who that imaginary friend was. Like, I never, my family, my mother was Roman Catholic, so this was not mentioned in my family. So it could be one reason why it was hushed. Did it? Did you have relatives who also had your gifts as a clairvoyant and a medium? Um, yes. Yeah. So when it does I, follow family lines, then, doesn't mm -hmm. it? When I was thirty-six, I asked my mother a question because when I was younger, she would always tell me to be aware of certain friends, and everybody that she told me, she was a hundred percent correct. And I thought, okay, there's more to this. You know, it's not a coincidence. There's something to this. So when I was in my 30s, I said to my mother, how come you were 100% correct all the time? And how did you know? She said, you want to know the, do you want to know the truth? And I said, yeah, that's why I'm asking you. So she told me that she would get vibrations from people. I was doing energy treatment for uh, someone I know. Uh, I was doing integrated energy therapy which is um, working with the energy field on the mental, emotional, and physical level. And as I was doing this, I looked over and I could see this little wee girl in just a white form. I said to the person who I was working on, I said, I can see a little girl. And he goes, oh my goodness. And so he knew who the little girl was. And who was the little girl? Uh, somebody that he had, uh, you know, like that's this is confidential, so I can't really, but it's someone that he knew. If you know Kingston, mm -hmm. uh, as you know Kingston, mm -hmm. and whoever is listening, they might not know Kingston, but the ones who know Kingston, they know about this um, ghost that is in the courtyard on Brock and King Street, mm -hmm. and her name is Agnes. She one day appeared to me on the street, completely 3D, looking like I'm looking at you, and she was in period clothing. And I thought, okay, there's a couple of people in the city of Kingston who dress up in period clothing. I thought she was one of them. So she was talking to me, but I could barely hear her. And so I said, pardon, and I walked right up close to her. And she said, bones, help me find bones. So at that time, I'm on my way to work, and I thought she meant dog bones. 
So at that time, Birds and Paws around the corner had just opened. And so I said, go to Birds and Paws, it's right around the corner. She gave me the weirdest look, as if I'm off my rocker. And I thought, well, that's weird, the look. And I said, have a nice day, and I walked off. And I thought, boy, she really looked at me really odd. And so I turned around, and she was gone. She was not there. She didn't walk by me or anything. She was gone instantly. And I had not walked away long enough for her to go anywhere. She was murdered. Her bones were buried. And they've never been found. And she wanted a Catholic ritual burial, which she never received. And she hasn't rest because she hasn't had that. And I went, oh my goodness, that's who I saw. And that's why she wants to try and find her bones. Bones, yes. No wonder she gave me a really weird bond look when I said, birds and paws is around the corner, you'll find dog bones there. Yeah. Is there any more to the history of uh, Teresa Agnes that we, that we could, I don't know, perhaps trace what happened to her after she was murdered in that small little courtyard? Um, she is buried in uh, in one of the buildings. She's buried down in the in the basement area. Okay. But the owner at the time of the building did not want to dig up. They tried to dig up in another location because they um, people. There was one building where they would have happenings, ghost happenings, and so they decided to consult a Ouija board and and they got the message that. It was Teresa, and she gave a name of Wolf Island to find a book to get, uh, give her the actual burial. So he decided to look for her. While well, he dug up, he couldn't find her. And they thought, this is really weird that we can't find where she said she was buried. Um, but later on, I guess they found that the plans, the building had been changed a little bit, and there's one section with a wall built in that was not there previously at the time when she was buried. And so she's on that other side and the other people do not want to dig her up, which is a, you know, their choice. Their choice, yeah. Now another interesting aspect to all this folks, uh, Baron being in Kingston myself as well, is this year we celebrate Sir John A. Macdonald's birthday. Now, Sir John A. Macdonald, for the folks that are listening from around the world and in the United States, um, is our George Washington. He's the founding father of Canada. That's the quickest and easiest way to put him into context. <laughs> There's a lot more to it. Now, because it was his birthday this year, he was born on the 11th of January, 1815. And he died, of course, on the 6th of June, 1891. He's the first prime minister of Canada. Uh, Kingston was chosen as the first capital of the United Canadas, because there was two. There was Quebec, that was known as Lower Canada, and Ontario, known as Upper Canada. And um, they united, and he served in that role from 1841 to 1844. Kingston was the first capital of Canada because of that. Now, because of his birthday, there was a lot of celebrations, not only in Canada, but specifically here in Kingston, because Sir John A. is from Kingston. Now, he was born in Scotland, but he came over as a youngster, and he grew up here and started his political career here. 
Because of that, Erin was asked something very, very special. And that was to see if she could contact Sir John A. MacDonald on the other side. I'm going to ask Erin right now to tell the world that story because this is exciting. Imagine being able to contact George Washington or Winston Churchill. This is our version of those two fellows in Sir John A. MacDonald. What did he have to say, Erin? I was invited to go to Alan McPherson House in Appanee which is a museum, because they knew that they had spirits there. And they wanted me to know if I could contact what the, who the spirits are and any information that I could get. So went in, and I was about to start my, my evening. The first person that came to, uh, has come to me is that Sir John A. used to uh, be a storyteller, and he would tell stories and entertain people here. And I was upstairs in the house, and it, this looked like a huge big room to me. And upstairs in houses to me are his be bedrooms. And I said, first, he would entertain here in this bedroom. And I thought, mm, this is weird, but I'm giving it to you. I'm sorry, I may be totally wrong, but I have to give it to you because this is what I'm receiving. And he would be invited here to this house often and especially when there was going to be parties, because he was the entertainer. And I said, so here I'm giving you my story. Well, one historian who knew about the building um, and the history, he said, well, I'll put you to rest. I will tell you that Sir John A. MacDonald was a relative to Ellen McPherson. And yes, he used to come to the house often, and especially when they had parties, because he would entertain and he would love to tell stories. Hence what I had said. And they said, you're confused because why would he be entertaining in the bedroom? They said that this room here was the ballroom. And that's where they would have the entertaining, instead of downstairs in the parlor or living room. They would do it in this big ballroom. So I was shocked, and that's the first time I knew anything else other than Sir John and MacDonald being the Prime Minister and living in Kingston. That's, I had no idea he was actually a storyteller. You nailed it, by the way, because Sir John A. had moved to Napanee with his family. And Napanee, folks, is just a small little uh, town on the outskirts of Kingston. So it would be like living in the suburbs, if you can imagine. And I guess the taxes were cheaper. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even know if they paid taxes back then. Yeah. But um, before he was prime minister. And, uh, yeah, apparently he used to really, really like to uh, to tell stories and mm -hmm. bring people. He loved people. He loved to gather people together and bring them together. And this is one of the ways to do it is uh, masterfully telling some stories. What else did you find out about him as you walked around? Because you have to realize, folks, Kingston is pretty much the same way it was then it is now. Yes. It's buildings of limestone. Um, I'll be showing some video, for sure, of Kingston. And a lot of the places where Sir John A. frequented, either uh, upstairs offices when he was a lawyer or the first parliament buildings, um, and I'll be showing videos of that as well, or some of the pubs that he frequented as well. <laughs> he was a big drinker. He was well known for that. 
And um, they're still here. They're still physically here. And once again, this is the touristic draw of Kingston for a lot of people. Uh, the reason why Kingston is here to begin with is geographically, it's located right where Lake Ontario meets the St. Lawrence River. So when the, um, the fur trade was first starting up, the closer you could get to the west where most of the furs were coming by boat was a more advantaged place, hence Montreal, hence Kingston, and then Toronto was right at the end of the lake. So that's a little bit of brief history about Kingston. It's really well suited. Geographically, if you're in the United States, it is just across the river from Watertown where uh, famed Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles were born, by the way, of CIA fame. And um, I think he was Secretary of State John Foster under Eisenhower. And just south of that is Syracuse, and everybody knows where Syracuse is. And we're about an hour north of Syracuse. So there's a good geographical location settled right between Montreal in the east and Toronto in the west. And Ottawa's just up the ways a little bit too. So ideal geographical location for people to assemble. Um, business was booming here and a lot of political, this is where the, the inception for the country of Canada began bringing people together from right across the country. So back to Aaron now, what else did you find about him as you walked around Kingston and you went to the various places where he used to conduct business or was a politician? Can you tell us what happened when you went into some of his offices and perhaps the old parliament buildings? Okay. Um, there was one in particular that was quite interesting that I went into. It is now Sir John A. Pub. Uh, it was one of his offices. When we were in there, he uh, said he liked the, there is a, a bust of him. And... Uh, he likes the bust. He thinks that's really nice that it's there. In life, he liked to be the center of attention. And it seems he likes that still now part of him or him being honored. And uh, so he liked where it was. He had said to me about a, a beer that was named after him. And I thought, well, this is, you know, okay. So I asked is there a beer named after him here? And he says, yeah, actually there is. It's called the Old Tomorrow. And he says, there's a sign right over there. And so I turned and I could see the sign. I had no idea. I don't go to bars, folks. I don't drink. Well, now when he says he told you this, mm -hmm. you don't hear voices in your head. How does it come to you? To me, it's more like the thought comes into my head. I see. So instead of just, you know, it would be like you thinking, but the thought is coming. I can tell it's coming from outside of me. It's not my mind thinking. Now, um, when you go into a location that Sir John A., for example, or anyone has frequented, is it easier to make that connection in those locations than it is, say, the further away from that you get? Is there something about lingering energy, or has that got anything to do with it at all? If a spirit wants to communicate with me, the spirit will communicate with me wherever. In this instance, we were going to the places so that we could get information from each different place. 
okay. that I go into. So that's why we were at the Sir John A. Pub, which was one of his law offices. He also mentioned um, a time when, uh, at that time, one of his partners, uh, there was a falling out. Mm-hmm. So he he mentioned about that and that he was very upset that, that happened and uh, he was hurt because there was close friendship he trusted and it was broken um, so that happened as well. Does it drain you afterwards? No. Not at all. No, no. I get very thirsty. I have to make sure that I'm drinking water the whole entire time I'm doing it um, because I get very thirsty. But as far as being tired, no, not at the time. Do you have autonomy? Or do you have an on and off switch where you can say, no, I don't want you do? Yes. How do you, yes. How do you do that? I guess there's a part... I have said to my guides or however I receive this information that... I'm only to receive it when I'm ready to do so, unless it's really important for information to come through to me for somebody. So I, I just have like sort of a clue that, okay, I'm doing this now. Uh, that protects because when I'm working my day job, at the present moment I still have a day job, and when I'm working my day job, I protect boundaries, and I don't want to be reading people as as they're coming in and so it's a it's a common ground of you know okay when I'm actually doing the work give me the messages when I'm not doing the work please don't uh, though I will tell you one little story when we went into the Royal Tavern where his one of his favorite drinking holes the Royal Tavern is still here in Kingston uh, is still active as a bar and yeah, you still... got to come to Kingston, folks. I mean, you could do the pub crawl for the next two years and not run out of pubs here. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Aaron. And the and the Royal Tavern is really cool. It looks like the time that Sir John A. McDonald was actually there. They have the old stove. They have the same walls. They have some of the same chairs that he actually sat in. Um, it's amazing. It still looks the same. It hasn't been renovated or fixed up. I hope it will be kept in somewhat good condition because this is a piece of history that we can't copy again. As I walked, all of a sudden there was another gentleman and soon as I went towards this man and I turned and I look at him and a message almost came flying out of my mouth at him. And I thought, I can't give him this message. So I closed my mouth and I turned. And uh, I walked further down the way, and, and next thing I know, he's there again. And I turn, and a message came for him again. So I walked on further and uh, read the building and got, uh, that Sir John A. obviously has been there quite often, still comes to visit once in a while. He uh, told me where he sat. He would like to see the bar and plus see the door. Yeah. Uh, he would look in the mirror that was behind the bar. And at the, if you walk in, the only change in this building, in the Royal Tavern, is the bar has been moved. The original bar is not there. And I could tell where the actual bar was at the time. And the mirror is still in the building, but not behind the bar for its own protection. But it is a huge mirror. 
And uh, I also got Eliza, which was the owner of the uh, bar. And on the wall in the bar is a is a uh, frame with the actual deed that Sir John A. signed over to Eliza Grimison. And she was the bar owner for the longest time. She was also his friend and was his campaign manager uh, for his political world at times. And uh, they would have it in the bar. And so as I came walking back, here's this man again standing there, and I get another message. So I said to Paul, before we leave, I have to give this, I have to go and ask this man a question because obviously spirit has come to me three times. And I'm to do this. I have to honor it. I can't keep it. So I walked over to this man and I asked him if I could um, give him a message. And I did give him three. Uh, I did give him the messages. He was open to receive. Thank goodness, um, because I was a little worried. It's not your normal, typical bar, and I was a little leery about how this man's going to take me walking up to him. Can you share the message? Ah. Uh, Without giving away anonymity? It was something about a song that this man was a writer, and he had written a song. Okay. And he was supposed to come out with it, and he hasn't. And Spirit knew that he had an issue, you know, there was something stopping him, and told him to please come out and write the song. But Sir John A. also mentioned that he liked the music, being entertained, like having music there in the bar. It wasn't his type of music but he liked the fact that there was entertainment in the bar so that was kind of nice that he was still somewhat apart Eliza still walks there does she really yeah she has wow. been there checking it out and there's been a couple of people who have had some sort of sense that there's something but not sure why and I believe that that's her and when we went upstairs in the upper part there's a lot of rooms upstairs, they're apartments, but at that time they were actually rooms. And so when we went onto this one floor, there was like a door here, mm -hmm. and then there's a, a big wall here. And I kept wanting to walk through here for some reason. And I was laughing because Spirit kept, you know, I kept wanting to walk through this through the wall. wall. And I'm going like, why do I want to walk through the wall? Because the door is actually over here. And no matter how many times I walked to one end of the hallway and to the other one, every time I came back, I wanted to walk through this wall. And so the owner was there, and I, asked the I said to the owner and to Paul, I said, I don't know why, but I keep wanting to walk through this wall right here. I know there's a door there, but I want to walk through here. He goes, oh, well, the door was changed when we did the apartments. There was actually a door there where I wanted to walk through. Wow. And that was the original door into an area, a sitting room, where Sir John A. would sit and Eliza. With Eliza, I should tell folks who Eliza is, folks. Eliza Grimison came over from Ireland when she was 16. She was married. Um, and she sought out Sir John A. MacDonald because Sir John A. MacDonald, at the time, this is before he was prime minister, was a practicing lawyer and one of the things that she needed to do she wanted to start a business this business and um, Sir John A set her up and got all the papers in order and everything else now there are rumors that they became lovers now these are only rumors uh, but 
the important thing is here, she became rich and she virtually financed McDonald's uh, political career from then on. Did she did ever mention anything about having a love affair with Grimison, with, with Eliza? Um, as I say, I can only say what I get. What he gets, yeah, what he tells um, me. Yeah, what he tells me or what I have picked up energetically. Um, I can't 100% verify this, folks, so don't come and give hate mail. <laughs> Um, but yes, I believe they had it more than just a close friendship. Okay. I believe they did have a relationship, as in man and woman relationship. Sure. Um, and they were very much in love with each other, um, and that they became friends and friends for life. And later on, um, at some point, I'm. I would believe that, you know, maybe perhaps they might have been able to have a relationship after Henry died, uh, which was her husband. Um, and Eliza um, was interested in him, obviously, still. And Isabel died, which was Sir John A. Macdonald's wife. And maybe perhaps there might have been a chance that they could have maybe had a joint relationship and maybe perhaps she wanted it too. What I found out later on when we were at the Memorial Hall in Kingston mm -hmm. at our city hall where he was laid to rest, That's laid right. to state. He was the first prime minister to actually been laid in state. And when I went to Memorial Hall, he communicated through me. He was letting me know who was coming up to his coffin. He knew a couple of people that had come up and then he saw Eliza come up and Eliza came over and she walked up to his coffin and she was extremely extremely heartbroken to the point that I could feel the tears and I could feel the tears and I could still feel the tears now actually um, and he felt very emotional at the time as well and he could feel her heartache her heartache was really strong he had said that if he had known how much she had loved him and how deep their relationship was, that maybe things might have been different. But he chose to marry Susan Agnes, which was his second wife, because Sir John A. always wanted to be successful. That was his main thing in life. He wanted to be successful, and so he wanted to become the Prime Minister at that time, for your status to become the Prime Minister, it would be nice or appropriate if you had a suitable wife. And Susan was a suitable wife for him. And Eliza, uh, what I got from that was that Eliza was not the suitable wife to help him to become the Prime Minister. But if he hadn't known how heartbroken she would have been when he died, maybe perhaps things might have been different. Because he did love her, definitely loved her, um, and cared about her, and they had a very close bond. But I don't know if he actually realized how deeply this woman cared for him and loved him. That's pretty and tragic, isn't it? Yeah, and to feel his, his sadness at the time and how concerned he was about how heartbroken he was or she was mm -hmm. when she came up to the coffin 
it was very interesting for me and, and very special because if you mention Sir John A. Macdonald to anybody, they think of him as a drunk. When I said I'm going to be doing this uh, medium thing for Sir John A. Macdonald's birthday, they said, do you think he's going to be sober enough to talk? This man did not drink all his life. He was a binge drinker. He became heavily more into drinking after Isabel died That's because right. he said that Isabel was his first love and he really really loved her. Yeah. Isabel was his love of his life. And, and he she had was also sick. lost a, a child just yes. prior to that, their yeah. firstborn. And um, when he was a little guy, when Sir John A. was a little guy, he was left under the guardianship of this man, and this man beat up his brother and killed him. Yes. So there's a lot of tragedy in Sir John A.'s life. He was five, and his brother was seven. And they were under the care of a man who um, worked for his father, supposed to babysit them or look after them. And he wanted to go to the bar, so he went to the bar, and he brought the kids into the bar, and the kids wanted to leave. They didn't want to stay. And, of course, the seven-year-old, being the oldest brother, he was persistent. He wanted to leave. Well, the man wasn't very happy about it. And so they, out the bar they went. And he got really mad, and he ended up beating the brother in front of Sir John A. with a cane. Enough damage was done to him that the boy was seriously injured, uh, was brought home uh, to his home. And for whatever reason it was, now his father was a poor man. His father wasn't a rich man. He right. had a lot of financial problems. Mm -hmm. He was brought over to the city in Kingston uh, to try to make a new life and, and see if he can help his, you know, his financial issue. And he had a family to raise. And yeah. so... A lot of failed businesses, too, here in Kingston. A lot of failed businesses. So for whatever reason, this man decided to keep it quiet. Bad enough that the son ended up dying from the beatings. Uh, but they said that it was, you know, some sort of cause um, about three days later. So John A. had to watch this, and he had to watch his father lie and not charge this man who beat his brother to death. And he watched it. And so what a horrible thing for him to have to live through and keep Traumatic. silent because he could not even tell anybody. He carried that with him through his whole life. Oh, through his life. And, and then his son dying too um, when he was young. And, and folks, again, I can't 100% prove this, but when I visited Bellevue House uh, quite a few years back. That's where Sir John A. used to live with Isabella. Where he rented this house so that Isabella would be in the country and have a beautiful surroundings and maybe perhaps it would help her to be better because he loved this lady so much that he would do anything to make this lady better and uh, to make her happy. So he uh, rented this place and, and she had good days and she had bad days. And when I entered that place, um, I've been there myself too, on because they have tours, of course. Of course, mm -hmm. this would be like uh, uh, George Washington's house. Uh, how did you feel when you went in? Well, I walked in and I could feel a lot of sadness going on, mm -hmm. um, a lot of sadness. It was very heavy in the house. 
Um, and of course I could understand that when I found out that Isabel was sick most of the time and that was very hard on Sir John, especially now knowing how much he actually loved her to watch his wife being so sick. It was hard for him because he was then starting to be very cold in the political field. He had a lot, lot on his plate and then he had this sick wife and then he had this baby. When I walked up the stairs, I could see a baby being dropped or felt that baby was being dropped and I could see a lady dropping this baby. Um, again, folks, that's only my impression of what I get. I don't know if it's 100%, you know, we, by, there's by no verification. So. By accident. By accident. Yeah. by accident, this baby was dropped. Unfortunately, this baby died. And if this lady, who I, I think it was, was actually Isabel, Again, John was faced with another thing that he could not tell anybody. Uh, he had to keep it quiet because he loved Isabel so, so much. And Isabel was the love of his life and always was for the rest of his life. Uh, um, he had to keep that quiet too. That here's his love of his life accidentally dropped. She didn't do it on purpose, folks. It wasn't a murder. Uh, but the baby was young and fall and end up getting you know injured and, and dying uh, from it later on it's so hard to say these things because you know what I get I ha you know I'm, I'm giving but I can't hundred percent prove so life sort of falls apart was there uh, joyous moments that he shared with you yes he uh, had beautiful times with Isabel when she was healthy he would sit and read stories to her too when he when she was sick. They had beautiful times together when they could. Uh, they had dinner or they would sit outside, especially in Bellevue House. They would sit outside because the grounds were very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so they had a lot of beautiful times. It wasn't all sickness. He certainly was delighted when his baby was born. Becoming a lawyer and successful lawyer was a big thing to him too. Becoming the prime minister that was. A very joyous occasion too. He had a lot of fun times with his entertaining and his parties uh, again at Ellen McPherson House and, the, and different places here in Kingston as well. He would go and party and he would entertain when he was at these parties and he did it at the bar as well. He was uh, known for entertaining at the bar and uh, he loved telling stories and you know, whatever he did for the entertaining. So he had a lot of good times. It wasn't all bad. And, folks, he didn't drink all the time either. He drank tea. He didn't drink alcohol all the time. Uh, he did end up drinking later on in life and sometimes through the thing. But his heavy heavy drinking didn't come to later on. And uh, I should tell the folks this wonderful little story. Um, and this is just the sign of the times. In March 1844, MacDonald was asked by local businessmen to stand as a conservative candidate for Kingston in the upcoming legislative election. Ready for this, folks? This is just wonderful. MacDonald followed the contemporary custom of supplying the voters with large quantities of alcohol. <laughs> what else? In the era preceding the secret ballot, when votes were publicly declared, MacDonald defeated his opponent, Anthony Manahan, by 275 shouts, because they used to just shout out, 
to 42 when the two elections concluded on 15 October 1844. And that's true. They used to get everybody drunk and people yep. would just shout out, shout out. It was just the times, right? I mean, that was yeah. just the times. Yeah. And what a handy thing, too, is to have your campaign manager owning a bar. Yeah, think. So you have your people come into the bar and you get free drinks if you vote. Plus, Eliza would offer them pies. Is that she, right? She was very known for cooking, and her pies were just the hit. And she would say that if you vote, you would get a pie. And that stove is still at uh, the Royal Tavern. And when we were at the Royal Tavern, we went upstairs into this what was the dining room at that time. And when we were in the dining room, Eliza spoke. And... Uh, to me and said to the people that thank you for coming and I had just just finished talking about how Sir John A and her were I believe closer than just friends that they had a relationship and she goes <laughs> when she started to come through to talk she goes I guess the cat's out of the bag <laughs> so that was just so cute I, and she also said, she said, welcome to com uh, for coming here. Nice to see that you're here and glad that you're here in this spot and doing it for Sir John A. Macdonald. She also mentioned that it wouldn't have looked like this. And at the time, if you had to come to visit her, she would have had pies ready for you. Isn't that incredible? And that's the first time that I knew that she had some anything to do with pies. The, the one gentleman, Paul, said that um, she was no one for her pies. And on campaign nights, she would say, if you vote, you get a free or you have free drinks, of course, and that you would get a, uh, to taste her pie. Now, would you get a pie and a free drink if you voted against Sir John A., or it was just, just to vote? Oh, you vote for him, of okay, course. Okay, of you course. You vote yeah. against him, you would so, vote for yeah. him. So that was in added fact, in she was pretty. She was pretty protected of Sir John A. Macdonald. She was um, like campaign manager. Yeah, she was very pleasure. protective. If if you didn't like um, his party, right. you were asked to leave the bar. You weren't there. She was very adamant. She was Ooh, yeah. very protective of Sir John A. She would get very angry, and she was a very short woman. She wasn't very uh, tall, but she was very stout and a powerful lady. And she would make it clear that you weren't messing around, and you weren't messing around with her Sir John. Aha. Uh -huh. Did you get the impression Sir John was very happy with this creation that he created called Canada? Yes, yes. He his. His uh, main thing for when he became Prime Minister is he wanted Canada to be connected mm -hmm. from one end of Canada to the other. And he did. And he he did, did it by the railway. But he loved Canada so much and he wanted it connected. He wanted so that you could travel from one end of Canada to the next and unite it all together. And he did it. He did it. He succeeded without question. He did. Sir John A. Macdonald, folks, uh, has been the focus of our conversation tonight with Aaron. And Aaron, of course, is a medium and a clairvoyant. And what would you call it? You channeled him? 
with Channelton? By Channelton, yes. Okay. Sometimes Channelton I allow... McDonald, the founder of Canada. The dowsing experience. Maybe we yes. can start with the dowsing experience. Dowsing. This person works at a place where there's a gray site. They're unmarked gray sites. He said, you know, it would be really neat if we could tell, like, how many graves there are, mm -hmm. and maybe even who is buried here. And so we found quite a few uh, really? graves. Yeah. I got some information from each grave. You kind of doubt sometimes when you get information. And when I did the graveyard, I was scared to give a name that might not be a name. Because what if I give a name and they put it that okay, so and so was buried here, and somebody in their in their in the future, you know, down the road, goes, oh, that's my great 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 grandfather or something, and thinks that person is there, and and God, what if I'm wrong? But every single time we could mark where a person was buried, how long the grave was. Wow. And every time we went by, like, I, I keep checking and checking, and, and it would definitely go to that spot. And uh, so it was really something to see are, that I could tell. Are the bodies still there, or did they dig them up and move them? The bodies or? are still there. The bodies are there, but there is no... Um, did they all seem happy to stones. be there? What a thing to ask. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will... Um, tell you something that that is my belief system sure. uh, something that I know I say belief system folks because it's something that I know again you know you have to watch are you 100% sure but this is my thing um, when we die we leave our bodies this is our shell that so that you can recognize me when we die, we leave our bodies. Our energy goes outside. We take this shell, and some of us bury it. Normally, years ago, it was always buried down into the ground. Or now we cremate or bury. But that's the shell that we do it with. The person, the soul of that person, is outside of that shell. So we can show up when we are, are dead, uh, for lack of better, when we've passed on. Mm -hmm. We are still alive, but we're alive in our, in our energy bodies. Oh, I see. Okay. So we're not inside that grave. Okay. So we are walking around in this world um, wherever we want to be in energy form. We can show up at the grave site for when you show up at the grave site. Mm -hmm. But the energy is not down into that grave. So are they happy? <laughs> They're not even there. <laughs> They're not even there. Okay. They're at Sir Johnny's pub. That's a better place to be anyway. <laughs> but they party. But I could tell where each one was buried. Okay. And in this grave site, too, which was really interesting, was some of them were buried this way, and some oh. of them were buried this way. And I could tell which way they were buried. Wow. And we even checked over and over and over, because I thought, okay, like this is weird, especially when I came to my first one. Huh. Didn't matter. 
there were some going this way and some going that way. Um, we we did we found quite a few. In fact, they were surprised at how many of them I found. And uh, we found some information on some of them and uh, initials and some with names. And uh, I don't know if they're going to publicly come out with um, with this, so I can't say where the grave site is. Channeling animals. Now, everybody has had a pet, whether it's a bird, a little hamster, or a cat, a dog, especially dogs, because we become so attached to the animal that it becomes part of their family. Mm. I didn't realize that people would want to talk virtually to their dead animals. Now, how the heck does this happen? Because how do they communicate with you from the other side? Uh, Just like humans. Animals do have spirit energy bodies, and so you can contact with them uh, after they die as well. And uh, so they're around just like humans are. Um, Mm -hmm. And in my um, belief system, Uh and this is my spiritual belief system, Animals are a lot smarter than we are. They are a lot more intelligent, and they are actually higher on the scale uh, Hmm. to me. Where a lot of people think humans are up here and animals are down here, I think that they're like this. Uh, So, But that's only my spiritual belief system. Uh, But animals, they will communicate with you the same way as humans will communicate. Animals are very telepathic. Oh, I didn't know that. So animals will telepathically communicate, and that's what the human is doing when they've come outside their bodies. Mm-hmm. They're telepathically communicating to you. So when when a client comes to you and says, you know, I just lost my dog of 12 years, I just lost my cat of 18 years, they probably are asking, is the animal okay? And how does that message come through you from the other side? Animals are okay on the other side. Humans are okay when they pass on the other side. Hmm. Uh, they Animals will give messages, and this is really interesting. Animals will give messages to help you. Um, now, they will give some sort of a message to, to um, let you know that they're your cat. You know, like if they like uh, salmon at that time in their life, they'll say, you know, I, I like salmon so that you know that I'm talking to your, your animal. Uh, but they will say personal things in order to help you. And so they're more concerned with helping you. Isn't that interesting? So they will say, you know, um, you have an issue with uh, smoking. Um, you know, um, please stop smoking, you know, help, help, help me to stop. Yeah. 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 You should stop smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you have some sort of issue going on in your life, they will say, you know, let's say mom should really do this instead. And so they will try to help you. They're not really concerned about themselves. And, uh, Do any of the people that you've channeled ever mention Jesus or what a definition of their God would be? Now, my mother had a 
near-death experienced. Yeah. And she saw a white tunnel. She was in a white tunnel, and she went to where this energy was okay. um, that she believed was uh, God. And it was very loving. And then he said that she was to come back, that it wasn't her time, that she was to come back here. She felt it so beautiful there. She didn't want to leave. Mm -hmm. She felt so peaceful. And uh, she had no thought about leaving. She wanted to stay. And he said, no, it's your time to go back. It's not your time to stay here. You're to go back. And uh, she saw her grandmother, and her grandmother said that, no, you're to go back. And uh, she didn't want to come back, and, and she said, for lack of any other thing, her grandmother pushed her out and made her go back. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That she had to come back here. Um, and my cousin, uh, she had a near-death experience, too. She said she was given a lot of messages from who she would say was God, uh, was given a lot of messages, and she has not yet told anybody those messages. And I tried to get mm-hmm. some of those messages from her um, because she knew what I did. And she said, no, I, I won't reveal them. But she was given a lot of uh, messages that were, um, to her, very, very uh, important and very um, real mm-hmm. that was going to be happening. And she didn't want to uh, give them that. out. Okay. So she's still alive. She has not yet uh, told what those messages were so that's what their their experiences um so there are they see people um Mm. there is somewhere they go Uh, but i they see other relatives that have passed on i suspect yeah 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 but to me i think if we could really see and really see clearly that we would see our loved ones and people walking around all over in in our daily life mm. if we could really really see www.nightfrightshow.com folks there you will find Erin's contact information if you would like to contact her and uh, is that okay yes if they want to do uh, if they want to have a session with you or a reading or Definitely. something okay so that'll be there in the www.nightfrightshow.com website for you just click on tonight's guest's picture and that'll take you well that'll just give you their her uh, contact information i'm brand holland from night fright thank you all for joining us we'll see you next time Time is now.
JFK Assassination, the definitive book by Brent Holland. From inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza, first-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com